Today is Thursday, the 12th of November, 2020. And we have come together again to train ourselves to cultivate our minds. And this is the means that we use to develop our hearts, to make them better, to increase the wisdom that we have. And we do this every single day. Because the days and nights are steadily falling away. So for us, what are we doing right now? The Buddha taught his bhikkhus that they have to think about this, to contemplate this every single day. These days and nights are steadily falling away. They're falling away. Because it's not just the days and nights that pass by. It's our lives as well. Our lives are steady, steadily deteriorating. And if we live to the age of 80, and the days and nights, they pass by, the days go, the months go, the years go. Well, now, how old are we? If we're 50 years old, then we've just got 30 left. And for those remaining years, we don't know whether we're going to be strong or not. For those who are 60 or 70, there's just a little bit of time left. They're close to this deterioration and decay, to the breaking of the body. So all of us, we have people that we know. We have friends, we have families, members of our family. We have uh, our mother, father, maybe brothers or sisters. There are people that we know. There are also people that we don't know personally, but we've heard about, who have become ill. Maybe it's a minor sickness, or maybe it's very severe. And for some of them, they have died because of it. This is something that we should recollect and think about, contemplate. We consider that the Buddha even though he had such sharp wisdom, that was able to completely destroy the kilesas without any remainder whatsoever. And this was a wisdom that he had cultivated by himself, that he had gained this knowledge uh, through his own efforts that no one else had told him. He could defeat these defilements all by himself. He was able to contemplate very deeply into the Dhamma to see this cycle, the process of dependent origination. And no one else could do that. And avijja leads to Dhanha, Upadana, and then the becoming and birth. And also, and that's this life, and it's also all the previous lives that he had as well, that they had come about because of this avijja. So he had cultivated his bharamis to a degree that no one else could compare for the sake of awakening by his own means, destroying the kilesas in his heart and reaching a state of bright purity. So it was only the Buddha who could do this. And after his awakening, 
he didn't um, just sit there and enjoy the bliss of enlightenment, but he went out to teach, to teach humans, devas, brahmins, all those who were able to listen and understand his teachings. He spent 45 years dedicating himself um, to instructing and guiding them. He fulfills the duties of a Buddha uh, to the fullest degree until he was able to teach many beings to become arahants or other stages of uh, noble beings. Many humans, many devas, could attain to this. And this lineage of arahants has passed down to this present moment. So when we recollect the purity, the compassion and the wisdom of the Buddha, this allows our heart to settle into peace. And the way we praise this is through the chant of Itipiso. And uh, this is a lot of merit for those who recite it. And because the Buddha had baramin that no other being could compare with. Um, so for us, praising his goodness uh, it gives great benefit to us. And the faith that we have is very important as well. It allows us to really focus on the goal that we have, to really set our hearts on it. Even though there may be a lot of duties and work we have to attend to, we practice as we do that. And this uh, brings up a lot of uh, goodness, a lot of uh, merit in our lives. It's a holy and pure form of merit. At the Buddha's time, there was a woman who had a lot of wisdom, and no one around her uh, could um, compare with her wisdom. She ended up uh, ordaining as a bhikkhuni, uh, but before that, uh, before ordination, uh, she asked Venerable Sariputta a question, and he was able to answer. And so Sariputta asked her a question in return, and she couldn't answer that question. He asked her, what is one? What comes into one? And she wanted the answer, but he told her that she had to ordain first, and then she could come and study with him. When she did ordain, then she chanted uh, the virtues of the Buddha, recited this many, many times, and her heart became very calm. She was able to attain to arahantship and was the foremost bhikkhuni in wisdom. So we see that the reciting of the goodness of the Buddha brings great benefits. It also allows our hearts uh, to receive joy and rapture as well. So we should consider this, that even though the Buddha had no equal, and still his body had to degenerate and pass away. Old age, sickness and death didn't 
uh, leave the Buddha alone. They didn't make an exception for him. And so he taught us to not be heedless. And that was his last teaching that he gave um, to, for the monks to perfect themselves in heedfulness. And that we do this is because the sankharas, conditioned phenomena, are inconstant. They are fading away, they're deteriorating with every passing day. So they're not something that we can place our trust in. So as these days and nights are constantly passing by, um, then we should ask ourselves what they're passing by with. And the answer should be that they're, that they're passing on with goodness and with skillfulness. That every day we cultivate these without skipping any days. That we make merit, we're generous, we uh, determine the precepts. And through doing this, the days and nights pass with mindfulness and with wisdom, with cultivating our hearts, with developing samadhi. When we engage in our jobs, then we should be mindful and contemplate, use our wisdom as well. And if we're doing something that doesn't require thought, we should chant. When we're traveling to the monastery to offer food, then we can chant as well. And when we're waiting to uh, offer that food, then we're chanting. And when we finished offering, then we chant as well. And then we come to sit in meditation, bringing our hearts to peace, to stillness, making them quiet, and developing mindfulness continuously. When we uh, do this chanting, then we should be really intent on it. And the mind calms down. And through that we can enter into a state of samadhi. So this constant chanting, reciting of these verses brings our hearts to stillness. And through this we'll be able to discern the truth, the nature of sankharas. But if the heart isn't calm, then we just won't see these things. It's like the water in a pond. But if it's very murky, we won't be able to see to the bottom. But if that water is clear, then we can see right the way down. So if the heart is clear, then we'll be able to um, see the truth within it. And the mind is settled into a state of samadhi, then we'll be able to perceive these things. But it becomes murky through the presence of these sensations that can stir up the mind. If there's a sensation that uh, inspires greed, then the mind becomes greedy as well. If it's a sensation that inspires anger, the mind turns angry. And if it's a sensation that inspires delusion, then the mind gets deluded. It's not bright, but rather it's covered with darkness. And so we can't discern the truth with the mind in that state. There's just a constant grasping at me and mine, a constant sense of self there all the time. There's liking and disliking, happiness and suffering. This me and mine constantly. So right from when the sun rises in the morning and we wake up, then there's this 
uh, proliferation upon the sense of self. And it happens throughout the entire day until the sun sets. There's always this me and mine there. So therefore we must train our hearts to come into stillness. And even though it's something that's difficult to do, it's not beyond our efforts. And wherever we put our efforts, at that very point is where we'll find success. We're able to free ourselves from suffering due to our efforts. So when we have faith, then we should also put effort into what we have faith in. Really determine to train our minds well. When we have the opportunity, then we take the five precepts or the eight precepts. We train ourselves in mindfulness, sitting meditation, um, collecting and composing our body and our speech. And this is sila. And then we compose the heart itself. But it's not the case that there's always good qualities present in the heart. Sometimes there will be unskillful, unwholesome things there as well. But when they come up, we abandon them. Whatever unskillful state arises, we put that down. We don't attach to it, but rather we just let it go, allow it to follow its nature and cease by itself. We try to not allow any unskillful, unarisen states to arise, because it's their nature that when they do come up, they will try to pull the heart away from the path of practice. So we need to take great care around them. For any arisen skillful states, we look after them, we nurture them. And this is right effort. So we have right view as well, and right intention, and in that we're not harming any beings. We're not getting lost in sense pleasures, but rather we're putting them down. So we come to, to train, to cultivate our hearts. And as we do this, then at times the mind will feel calm and still. And we'll gather into samadhi. And in that state, we can know the nature of things as they arise and cease. See the breath within the body as it comes up, or it comes in and it stays for a short while, and then it leaves the body. And right here at this point is vipassana, is inside, seeing the body as just a body. I once went to pay respects to uh, Venerable Interjak, who was the older brother of uh, Venerable Brahmajak. And I asked him uh, how to cultivate vipassana, as I was a layperson at that time. So I asked him how to develop vipassana. And he answered that seeing the breath um, come in, stay for a short time and leave, that right there is vipassana. So therefore we should do this practice. We should bring our minds to stillness, whether we use the meditation words of Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha, um, or we look at the breath. These all work to bring about clarity and peace. We can watch the breath as it comes in, persists or stays for a while and then ceases. Understand that the reason we still have this body is because of the breath. With the presence of the breath, the body is able to live. But with its absence, the body deteriorates and dies.
the elements, um, the earth elements, the water, fire and air, they all disband, they separate, they go their own ways. So the elements disband and the mind moves on. And where is a self to be found in all of that? So we should see that um, this home that we take of the body has old age sickness and uh, death that overpowers it. And the Buddha taught um, that the end of these bodies will come, whether it's for monks, whether it's for lay people, whether it's for me giving this Dhamma talk, it will come. And our bodies are constantly arising and ceasing, arising and ceasing, and that every single cell um, within these bodies is arising and ceasing, arising and ceasing. There's no, they don't stay still. All the material things in this world arise and cease perpetually. They're always in a state of flux. There's no stillness to them. But it's just that we don't see that, so we become deluded in this world. Um, we become lost in greed, hatred, and delusion. But if we see the nature of arising and ceasing, we'll be able to abandon these things. When greed comes up, we'll be able to say no to it. We'll be able to veto that greed. And the same with anger and delusion as well. Because why would we want to follow any of those things? Why would we follow greed, hatred, or delusion? They're not permanent. Old age is coming in on us, and so is death. Just this morning at 4 a.m., there was a close lay disciple of the monastery who passed away, and she was 66 years old. So we see that this life is not sure, that it's something that changes. So therefore, what's really important is the building, the cultivation of goodness, because the time that we have in this world is not long. A very respected senior monk at the time of the Buddha um, said that the world has no owner, and it's old age sickness and death that own and lead the world. Those who have a lot of wealth will have to leave a lot of wealth behind. And those who have little wealth will have to leave a little bit. And that's just how things are. So when I recollect, look back on all of the great teachers who I had paid respects to, those who had hearts that were pure and bright, um, all of them have laid down the sankharas already. And their khandas, they've put them down and they've passed away. None of them are left. All those that I paid respect to, they've all passed away. Because these sankharas don't last. The sankhara is anything which arises due to causes and conditions. But when those causes and conditions change, then that will have to change as well. They'll have to deteriorate and following their conditions, following time. And why is that? Well, it's because of the food, because of weather, because of the amount of rest that we get. And if these things aren't in balance, um, then that brings about sickness in the body. 
So these days, there's a lot of pollution in the air. The food has different chemicals in it. The water is impure. And, uh, but our bodies depend upon these things, depend upon water, food and air. So this brings up problems within the body, meaning that it deteriorates, degenerates. Especially if we've used our physical bodies a lot, then they deteriorate very quickly. And sometimes we get a sickness that doesn't have any medicine that can cure it. And this brings about very fast deterioration. And we can see that with COVID that's very quickly spread all over the world. So we should all contemplate to see that these things are not sure. They're inconstant. And that's the nature of Sankaras. So the Buddha taught us to not be heedless. And those who are heedful are those who don't die. But those who are heedless are already dead. So we see that um, there are many people around, even though they're still breathing, they're already dead. And have you seen that? Have you seen the living dead? They've died from goodness. They don't have morality. They don't have dhamma. They don't have any goodness to them. And they're humans walking about, but they're already passed away. But those who develop goodness, good qualities, even though they die, they don't actually die. Because people, those who are left, recollect that goodness that they had brought into the world. The help that they had given other people, the aid that they had given to the Buddhasasana, the ways that they had assisted those in society. Um, people recollect these things, and so they live on. So therefore we should contemplate these things every day. Contemplate that life is not sure, but death is sure. Death is the culmination of this life. Life must end in death. So life is uncertain, but death is certain. And when, we, we, when we recollect death in this way, then our minds become disillusioned towards the world, dispassionate. And this brings about peace. We're able to draw out the greed, hatred, and delusion within our hearts through the recollection of death. Initially, it's the sanya, it's the perception that we bring up of inconstancy and of stress. And it's very similar to wisdom, but initially it is just this perception. As we bring this up, we'll see that these things are not self, and the mind will easily enter into samadhi, and then clear insight can arise based upon that. Lumpucha taught that those people who have very strong greed, hatred, and delusion should think about death very often. It brings about a stillness and a clarity to the heart. We're able to abandon these defilements and put them down. Initially, it's kanaka samadhi, this momentary concentration, but it develops into upajara, and the neighborhood concentration, 
a concentration or a collectedness that's firm. It's very close to one-pointedness, to the true stillness and peace of the heart. So when we are skills at uh, developing these states, um, we should use whatever method uh, works um, to, to cultivate them, to bring them up, whatever we like to do. Um, and then we can contemplate into the body and uh, see it uh, for how it is. Maybe we contemplate in terms of its asubha, its unattractive nature. And because of the collectedness of our hearts, then a nimitta can arise. And we investigate this nimitta and we'll be able to separate out the elements of the body, separate out its earth, water, fire, and air. And the heart becomes empty and still. It can enter into apana or access concentration. So we see that all of these different facets of the, of the practice are all connected together. That we recite Buddha, Dhammo, Sangho, and our hearts come to peace. And then as we do that, or from that peace, then we can contemplate into death and see that life is an uncertain thing. So therefore, we need to have confidence in whatever meditation object that we're using, and we just carry on with it. Whatever works to bring our minds to peace. And from this peace, then vipassana can arise. With a calm heart, we can understand the nature of not-self. And this isn't thought, but rather it's a clear, direct knowing that appears in the heart, seeing into the nature of conventions, um, seeing into the nature of death. Maybe we see a dead body. We see also that there's no person there there's no name, there's no label that we can put onto it. But when the mind starts to proliferate, um, then we gain clarity into the nature of conventions, and a great brightness appears in the heart. And there's this uh, radiant wisdom that arises. A lot of joy comes up into the heart, and we gain insight into the Dhamma. So I ask for all of you to set your hearts on this practice. And in the end, uh, you will come to understand and know the Dhamma.